Hello, this is Sue Jackson on Finding Human, and I'm doing a pre-record from because I'm on holiday at the moment. But the topic is uncharted territory, and Leo Boscaglio said, "Life is uncharted territory. It reveals its story one moment at a time," and I think this is absolutely true. And this year. We had to go through the United uh, United States midterm elections and all the ugliness that went with it, and uh, it actually got me thinking: how midterm is actually a time that we need to, a time of reckoning and assessment. And if we really think about our lives, our own lives, what would a midterm look like? Firstly, I have to admit that I am beyond my halfway mark, but I decided to do an assessment and see what I would choose to do, especially if I knew I would have to face an election campaign again. How would I choose to go on? What would I leave behind? What would I take with me into my future? This year, I had a few requests to speak about finding meaning and purpose in our lives. And I have often said that meaning is unique to each of us, and therefore cannot be given. It has to be found. And as Viktor Frankl said, our only freedom that man has is the freedom to choose our own attitude in whatever circumstances to choose our own way. So we are never free of challenges. With that in mind, I have decided to play three really interesting short YouTubes, which have um, are very meaningful to me, and I hope that they're going to be meaningful to you. There are two by Rabbi Arya Weinstein, and one by Oprah talking to Gary Zukov, and that I find quite moving. He actually brought Oprah to tears. And at the end, I hope to play a really nice song for you. So back to my topic, uncharted territory. I'm going to tell you a true story first. One day, my husband. One day, my husband, um, Leon, my daughter Caroline, and her fiance Paul and I were out on a boat, a sort of pontoon on a dam. The day was beautiful; the water sparkling and smooth. And we decided to go down a very small tributary, looking for crocodiles. We left the sun and entered into a sun-dappled area with low-hanging branches reaching into the water. As we went further down, this tributary became narrower and narrower, and it was difficult to make out the bank as it was very misty. But we were keeping in the middle and slowly putt-putting along, eagerly searching for the crocodiles. Amongst the low hanging branches, which were actually in the water, going downstream was fun and exciting. But on our way back up this river, suddenly our boat hit a sandbank, and no amount of trying to get out would, would worked. We pushed without with the sticks, the long sticks, and eventually my husband Leon jumped overboard and tried to push the boat off. At this stage, my daughter Caroline started yelling at Paul, her fiance. How can you leave my dad in there on his own? Why don't you get in as well? Our son-in-law to be, 
against his own horror of crocodiles, gingerly climbed overboard and joined Leon in the water. Together they heaved with all their strength. Just then, something incredibly forceful and large hit Leon on his calf. He let out a loud yell and in a second both he and Paul landed in the boat. Leon's calf had a big welt on it and swelled up rapidly. Anyway, the story has a good ending. Perhaps because they both jumped at the same time, the impetus freed the boat from the mud and we got back to safer waters and eventually to home. And where Leon had to have ice packs on his calf, which kept was very, really, very sw- swollen for at least four days. Now, Paul, who is our son-in-law, is a man of great integrity, humor, loyalty, and courage, and great love. But my sons, his brother-in-laws, Norman and Mark, have never allowed him to forget his initial thought of abandoning his father-in-law to the crocs. They even mentioned it at his wedding. The moral of this story is, sometimes we are going through a smooth stage of our journey after life, and even when we enter a slightly darker patch, we still move forward, hoping for change. And then suddenly the going gets harder and we feel we are grasping for air and we wonder if we will survive. At this stage, if we are lucky, someone will begin to walk or swim beside us to give us their strength, to keep us afloat. And it's times like this that their belief in us actually helps us to move through the mist to find the courage to walk forward. Sometimes our fears are so much greater than the actual fear when we face the fear. Now in the book Confluence, I don't know how many of you have read it, there's also a movie Beyond the River. The book is by Pierce Craigshank and uh, it's it's about his trip down the doozy with with his companion, his fellow um, rower. Now he's actually he was an English teacher at Kingsmead Kingsmead's College. <laughs> oh, I'm really stuttering here. Kingsmead College, which was my old school. So I'm really happy to actually mention this. But his book is called Confluence, and what he says is each river is unique, winding a course through a valley of its own making. But at a confluence, rivers meet each taking on the strength of the other as they join forces and head towards the sea. I love this because I think that's what it is. And quite honestly, part of this confluence is what comes into it, these rivers, the tributaries that actually join us and do cause, that make make us stronger along the way as they join forces. Viktor Frankl says we need to view life as a series of movie frames. The ending and meaning may not be apparent until the very end of the movie. And yet each of the hundreds of individual frames has meaning within the context of the whole movie. View your life from your funeral, looking back at your life experiences. What have you accomplished? 
what would you have wanted to accomplish but didn't? What were the happy moments? What were the sad? What would you do again and what wouldn't you do? And I, I've given that a lot of thought. Stay relevant and up to date. This is 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on Finding Human. And I'm going to be playing you um, a short YouTube by Rabbi, <laughs> Rabbi Ariel Weinstein on Have You Liberated? Freedom is such an important element of our life. Thank God we live in a free country free to be able to do whatever we want to do but you know a society a country can only offer us one level of freedom and that's really a very external level of freedom the freedom to do what to give a person opportunity to do whatever they want to do but there's a much deeper and much more important freedom that every single human being needs to strive to give themselves because no one else can give it to us. And that is the freedom to be. Not the freedom to do, but the freedom to be. That is a truly free person. In fact, when the Jews left Egypt, well, what we, what we witness is a people going from a land which they were not free to do, to suddenly leaving that land and having the freedom to do. But there was a greater freedom that the Jewish people experienced because it was the freedom to be. They exercised their freedom of choice to choose to become a nation, to become the people of God, to accept the Torah. That's a very deep freedom. That is a freedom to be. And that's the freedom we all pursue. And so my, I want to share with you my favorite story about freedom, because I think this really brings out exactly what freedom is all about. It's a story with the uh, famous refusenik Natan Sharansky. And he writes in his biography how um, he was sitting in, inter- in an interrogation room as a prisoner of the, uh, of the Soviet Union. And... Um, he has two interrogators together who are, who are interrogating him. And he said, I would love to tell them jokes mocking the regime. And so he said, you know, I, I remember sitting in this room and I, and I tell them, you know, um, I heard Brezhnev was really upset when uh, the Americans finally got a man on the moon. And he was furious because how can the Russians be outdone? So he said, we're going to outdo the Americans. And he called, called in all the cosmonauts and he said, guys, I have a plan. We're going to outdo the Americans. And so he said, what are we going to do? And he said, you know what? We're going to be the first people to fly someone onto the sun. And these cosmonauts look at him and say, Mr. Brezhnev, with all due respect, did you think this through thoroughly? Because it's clear that on our way up to the sun, we're going to be burned up way before we get near the sun. And so Brezhnev looks at them and says, what do you think, we're a foolish country? You think we didn't think of that? We'll send you at night. And, of course, when, when, when Natan Sharansky says this joke, he looks at the interrogators and both of them, with all of their might, are controlling themselves from laughing. Because if, God forbid, one sees the other laughing, 
That can put them in, in, in serious trouble, mocking the regime, number one, not doing their job, number two. And so he, then he turns to them and he says, look at this. I'm saying a joke, I'm rolling in laughter, and the two of you want to laugh and you can't laugh. So I want to ask you a question, who's the prisoner and who's free? And this really sums up what freedom is about. You know, someone can take a human being and lock them up and not let them physically move. But they can still be a free person. And there can be another person who can do whatever they want. Freedom. Like a free country. You can do whatever you want. But they're so locked up to the peer pressures around them. To the dictates of the society around them. To expectations that people have of them. And they don't find the courage to be themselves. To be who they are. To be free. And this is really the story of Passover, the story of Pesach for each and every one of us. And if we take this even a step further, let's go really deep with this. It's possible for someone to do a mitzvah in slavery. And then it's possible, of course, for someone to do a mitzvah as a free man. So God tells us to do something, and we can do it, and we should do it. Sometimes, though, we do it because it's expected of us. Our friends expect us to do it. Sometimes we do it because it will give us status. We do it for some reason, but we're not doing it because we want to do it. We believe in doing it for itself. When we're free, we really connect with every experience that we have. And we really do it because we want to do it, not for any other reason. That's freedom. May God... Give us, each and every one of us, the inspiration to find freedom in our lives, to really do it. Like a river, we have many branches to our course in our life's journey. We are never just one story. We are made up of hundreds of stories, and each is a tributary of its own. We come from past stories that influence us throughout our lives, whether we want them to or not. We cannot leave the past behind. It flows through and into us. The task is to honor it, to let the positive impact remain, value all that is good, the values that we have found in it, the strength we have found. But the part that prevents us moving forward is often the guilt, the blame, the suffering. It's what Viktor Frankl calls a tragic triad of life. And it's the guilt, blame, suffering. It's the death. But death can come in many, many ways. Death is often in depression, in feeling worthless, in not knowing if we can move forward. So we have to search very hard to find meaning. Sometimes the meaning is found in the courage and the strength it takes to let go of the anger, the blame, the guilt that we are actually holding on to and to move forward. Do you know that um, uh, Winston Churchill said, fear is a reaction, courage is a decision. So I think it does take great courage to overcome our fear and move forward into life. Now, I was watching the Armistice Day, um, the 100th anniversary of the end of the war, and they were, they were honoring World War I and World War II veterans. Well, it was actually 
it was quite amazing and to me it tied in with the midterm election in also honoring our past and I became very tearful while I was watching this but also very proud straight afterwards I decided to google my mom's first husband's name and sure enough he came up as um as one of uh, um having been lost in the war and he was only I realized then that he was only 24 years old and they'd only been married for about a year and I I actually found this very very moving and then I started going through some papers of my mom and quite by chance I actually picked up a few things from my dad. Now, my dad never actually spoke about his experiences in the war, and yet on finding these old letters that he had written to me, uh, I found it quite amazing that actually he did say quite a bit, but I just didn't always hear it, obviously. In this one letter dated 1983, he says, Tomorrow is the 39th anniversary of D-Day. 39 years ago tonight, I was flying a bomber over the English Channel with the bomb airmen under instructions from the navigator, pushing out thousands of strips of tinfoil, pretending we were an invasion force, me and about another 40 aircraft. Tonight, is, it is far more peaceful, less exciting, though. And I, I actually found that very fascinating because for, uh, in another letter, he actually he talks about um, being in Germany. Um, I had written to them. They were living in Durban and I was in Johannesburg. And I would written to them telling them about a, a camping trip weekend that we had gone on, which had been pretty disastrous because we forgot to put the bottom of the camp the tent down and it rained like anything and according to my husband even the eggs were actually floating in the water so my dad said in this letter dear sue mom relayed your description of your camp your camping weekend to me in bits as she was laughing so much she could hardly talk now you know why i made the vow during the war that i would never sleep under canvas again the vow was made in Belgium after the first snow and we were still sleeping in tents. Can you believe that? Don, your beloved brother, came round on Saturday evening and I told him of the vow that I had made. And all he said was that I should get over it and get up to date as tents were now made of terrelene. I hastily remade to vow to read never to sleep in a tent again. And then in another letter of his, he writes that he was, um, <laughs> one, one evening, he was very ill by this stage, and he said, um, one evening, I don't know if mom told you, Wednesday evening, quite late, about 11 p.m., our Selena came in, barging into the kitchen door to shout that her, uh, her kaya, her, her room had been burgled. I grabbed my gun and rushed to the kitchen, and I had to rapidly sit down smartly. Mom arrives and sends me back to bed. I could hardly breathe. Anyway, I bought a lock and a bolt, and I asked Don to come and put it on tomorrow. There are the, there are the mighty fallen, and the weapons of war perish. I have to realize I can no longer do whatever I actually think I can. 
And to me, that showed such huge courage. But then also what I did realize was that listening and and picking up the story of um, my mom's first husband, I I realized also what I personally had learned from that time, from, from, from her loss. And that was compassion and love. My, my mom's first husband, Gordon's mother, used to come up and stay with us every single year. And um, my father was incredibly good to her. And she, she herself, she and I were actually close. And um, whenever, as a little girl, whenever I came down to Durban to visit my grandparents, I would go out with, um, with Granny Mabel. And she would take me to Stutterford's in the Durban Centre and we would have coffee together. She was this beautifully dressed woman in, in gloves and hats always. And I'm sure I got my love of hats from her. But why I'm telling you this is because my mom taught me in that, that you don't just dump someone because they're not no longer in your life. There's always a place for them and you need to make a place for them. And she certainly made a place for her first mother-in-law to to come and stay with us, to be part of our family. And looking back on it, I actually realize that it must have been very hard for Mabel to actually come and stay with us because she she never mentioned uh, her husband to me. My my brother used to tease me and tell me that um, Gordon was actually my father and that our father, he's and my father, was not my father, and and that uh, Gordon had died and left me with my father. It was only later, when I was about six years old, that I realized what a lie he told me, because, in actual fact, he uh, was three years older than me, so if anyone was going to be Gordon's son, it would have been his, but uh, him, I mean, <laughs> but it wasn't. So I think I need to let go of that as well. But uh, that was part of it. And, um, you know, I read an article the other day, but just the, I'll tell you about that in a moment. Stay relevant and up to date. This is 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on Finding Human. And in a moment, I'm going to actually play you another um, uh, YouTube. And I'm having a bit of difficulty, as you can hear, taping this because I'm doing it from my telephone. But this is, is Why Do People Suffer? And it's also by Aria Weinstein. And I find it quite an interesting uh, YouTube because we do so often ask, what is this all about? So I hope you enjoy listening to this. There's a question that every feeling human being asks, a theological question. Why do people suffer? We experience suffering around us. Sadly, sometimes we ourselves suffer. And we have this question, why does God put suffering on this earth? Why does he make people suffer? And it's an obvious and a very valid question. And how can someone not ask this question when we are faced with suffering? In fact, the first person to ask God this question, as it's documented in the Torah, is Moshe, Moses. Right after he gains forgiveness on behalf of the Jewish people, after the sin of the golden calf, he sees that it's an opportune time to make requests from God. And so he says, God, please explain to me 
why it is that good that bad things happen to good people why is it that people suffer and you know what God's response to him was you can see my back you cannot see my face you cannot see the inner meaning of certain things and so God said Moshe you cannot be human and understand why people suffer if I were to explain to you why people suffer you would lose your humanity what was God telling Moshe God was telling Moshe a very profound point. He was telling him that the moment a human being can rationalize, can explain why it is that someone is suffering, they are being stripped of the very core definition that makes us human. We suddenly lose our compassion. We can suddenly explain things. And when we get lost in our intellectual minds, we lose our compassion. Because you know why it happened. Because of this, that, and the other thing. And now we have an explanation. We can box it. We can package it. We can understand it. And we lose feeling for it. And God said, if I were to do that to you, Moshe, you would lose your compassion. You would lose your humanity. God forbid for a human being not to be compassionate. And so there's a silver lining here that we sometimes miss. And the silver lining is... That there is a reason why we can't understand suffering. There's a reason why God doesn't want us to understand suffering. We all know what it's like to be in a relationship with someone. And what does that person do? They always explain why it is that we made the mistake that we made. Why it is that things went wrong. Oh, you know why? Because you did this. Oh, you know why? Because of that. Always an explanation. And we resent such people. We resent them because they don't feel for the, for the uh, fault or for the mistake or for the trouble that one is going through. Because they're always explaining it. Those people come across as being cruel. Because instead of expressing compassion and feeling for what someone else is going through, they're trying to understand it. And so sometimes we need to go a little deeper. And we need to say, I don't understand it. But there's a greater, a deeper value over here. It's the value of compassion. I may not understand it, but I feel for it. And that's what makes me the human being that I am. Hello, I hope you enjoyed that YouTuber, um, Aria um, Weinstein, on suffering. I actually brought to mind the story of Churchill. And uh, I think he was one of them, uh, a really, to me, such a famous name of uh, um, during World War Two, and he was so often quoted to me when I was growing up. But he certainly looked at his own suffering, or should I say, he faced his suffering and he walked forward. He he really had to fight his unbelievable, his own terrible demons and he suffered very badly from um, a depression which he called the black dog and yet he still carried all his problems all his demons with him as he strove to to reach the heights of his fullness and to encourage his nation and all the allied nations in world war ii to actually 
give them the courage to go on. And, um, you know, he, he suffered from severe depression, as he said, black dog. He suffered from insomnia and drink. But he had so many uh, other uh, things that he, he used to um, boost him. But once he did say, we're all worms, but I, believe, I do believe that I'm a glowworm. And quite honestly, to this day, uh, he he still is fascinating so many people. Um, he said that uh, his, his soul was fed with his animals, his budgie, his dog Rufus and his cat Jog, do, his cat Jock. And um, he, he's, one, of his, one of the things he said, which I rather liked, I'm very fond of pigs. Dogs don't look up to us. Cats look down on us, but pigs treat us as equals. I found that very funny. And then there was also at his home charcoal, which he loved, there, it was also a working farm. And Churchill believed that an animal could never be slaughtered after he had wished it good morning. Personally, I really liked that being a vegetarian. I thought that was, was great. But, you know, I read an article about him, about whether he would actually, would his depression disqualify him as being a prime minister today? And uh, I must admit, I, I actually thought, gee was, you know, uh, he certainly led Britain to victory over the Nazis against uh, major odds. And um, would he have been a, a, a leader today? Uh, I don't know. All I do know is that in a time of great darkness and despair, he certainly helped people to motivate them to search for answers, for meaning and for a purpose in their lives. And this questioning opens us up to actually motivate ourselves to change and to look at uh, relationships. And there is a responsibility for all of us to do this. And he rose to that responsibility. You know, responsibility, which is our ability to respond, to choose how we move forward. Our only freedom, after all, is our choice and our attitude. Gratitude can certainly help this amazingly. If we are really feeling down and depressed and anxious and the, the normal human feelings that we so often go through, if we could just stop for one moment and think of gratitude, think about the, the sun, the I'm looking at the sea at the moment and each day it fascinates me, the different colors of the sea, the beauty of it all. And I do think that gratitude can move us beyond our state of depression or the darkness that we may feel. And the other thing that Winston Churchill said, which I really enjoyed, was, you will never reach your destination if you stop and throw stones at every dog that barks. And this I find incredibly true, because how often do we stop and give people who are trying to demean us or put us down or laugh at us, whatever they may be doing, how often do we actually give them our energy? We give our energy away to so many unnecessary people and, uh, and issues in our lives. And he's quite right. You know, we have to just stop and, and look at uh, what we are doing. And, uh, and he, as he said, if we stop and throw stones at every dog that barks, well, I must admit we'd be totally exhausted. So instead, how do we believe in ourselves? 
That is a hard one as we go on this life that we are meant to go on and and charter our own uncharted waters. It is incredibly, incredibly hard. Now, Churchill also, going back to Churchill, he embraced so many of his gifts. Now, what are, is our meaning triangle? Because this is where he actually did find meaning. Our meaning, our meaning triangle is in our creative values, our experiential values, and in our attitude. The creative values is what we actually, have, the gifts that we have that we can reach out to others with, that whether it's uh, in work, indeed, whatever we have that we have been given, the creative ability. Churchill, for instance, adored um, painting. He said he loved those bright colors. They just did something to him. He didn't like browns or grays because they brought him down. But that was um, that was part of what he actually enjoyed doing. That was part of his creativity. And, of course, he was the greatest orator that he could be. And then what about our experiential um, gifts? Those are what we get from nature. And so often they are free. They are there. They are the, the looking at the sky, looking at the plants growing, looking at the rain, looking at the, the smelling the earth after the rain. All of those are experiential gifts. What about uh, community, friendships, relationships? All of those are part of the experiential uh, gifts that we have. And, of course, then there's our attitude. Do we choose, should we, our attitude, it's not always easy, um, but we have a choice. Should we choose or snooze? And that is always our choice. And I must admit, it's easy for people to say, go away and relax, but how many people are able to do that? Only a very few fortunate ones know how to actually switch off and, uh, and begin to enjoy their lives. How often have we been moved beyond words witnessing the way a family member, a friend or a stranger has courageously faced their challenges? This year I have been incredibly privileged to have met many people who inspire me and people whose actions and lives have challenged me to become a better person. This program, Finding Human, is exactly that, finding ourselves. Sometimes in raging waters, sometimes when the water is very still and dark, but the search must continue. I do believe, though, that we are our own worst critics. After all, who needs an outside critic when we are so incredibly good at criticizing ourselves? Um, so how can we help ourselves to believe in our own strengths? our own gifts that we have been born with. That is hard. Um, and, you know, the, the, there's the transreading the nature of life, which is the beginning and the end. And um, it's the, I think every day we are challenged to actually realize what does this day mean. Um, there are these emotions of life which are incredibly painful to often deal with, but there are aspects of being human. And they come and go throughout our lives. So how do we learn to cope with them? The most common emotions, of course, are fear, anger, sadness, um, 
loss because of the sadness. Those are the three most common, but a lot, of course, comes into that as well. All the other feelings, the the fear and um, that comes in with with the, with a lot. And the sense of emptiness, that void that we're often left with, that can lead towards uh, depression or chronic addiction. Uh, I mean, chronic anxiety or even addiction. Uh, some people deny their feelings outright. But you know what? We cannot live like that. We can't sustain that denial for long. Uh, because um, And others attempt to avoid emotions. How? By using alcohol, food, drugs, other addictive activities. But what happens? We are still left with that original pain. And we have to learn how to identify it, notice it, express it, and how to treat our feelings. And each of us will do this in our own way, and we will begin to heal what we feel. Only if we recognize it, look it in the face. By doing that, your emotions will no longer be something to fear or avoid. Do I do this easily? Of course not. But these fears and the feelings that come in, they, they can become occasional rapids on our uncharted territory through life. Uh, the waters can become vicious and, and move us in all different directions. We feel that we're churning inside. And yet eventually we will know how to ride it out so that we can get to safer waters and get beyond the emotional pain. Victor Frankl said that the door to happiness opens outwards, and I rather like this. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on Finding Human, and I have want you to listen to this the definition of the soul that actually made Oprah cry on her show. It was with um, Gary Zukov, and I, I found it very moving, especially when he talks about following a mothership. What is the soul? The soul is what you are. The soul is not a mythical entity. The soul is a powerful, purposeful essence. It is at the very center of who you are. But do not think that you are the entirety of your soul. A soul is enormous. Your soul existed before you were born, and your soul will exist after you die. You... Oprah that I am speaking to, I, the Gary that is speaking to you, are personalities. I have a certain psychological structure. I have lessons to learn in my life. I have emotions. I have intuition and cognition. I have all of those things. But all of those things will die. But my soul will not, and neither will yours. Does my soul know me? Yes. Yes. Look at it this way. Every fleet of ships that sails has a mothership one ship that knows where all of them are going and sets the direction for all of those ships to sail Mm -hmm. this doesn't mean that the mothership determines what happens on each of the other ships in the fleet life on one of the ships might be mostly pleasant on yet another ship it might be mostly unpleasant now imagine the mothership is the biggest ship you can imagine it's a city afloat magnificent And now imagine that the rest of the boats, the ships, are not really ships, but little boats. The mothership is your soul, and you are one of the little boats. The mothership knows why... That's a very nice analogy. Really? 
the mothership knows why you are in the water. You may not know all of the time. The mothership knows why you encounter storms. Your job, while you have the awesome privilege of being a little boat, is to learn how to sail in the same direction as your mothership. Because you can choose and create anything you want, you can sail in the opposite direction if you want. That is a sure way to find rough water. But as you sail in the direction that your mothership wants to sail, your life fills with meaning and purpose and love. You are excited about being alive. You are excited about the people you are with and what you are doing. Because you're following the mothership. That's right. Meaning is your inner compass that always aligns itself with the direction that your mothership wants to go. Okay, meaning. Meaning, your inner sense of meaning and purpose. Is, say that again. Meaning is your inner compass. Mm-hmm. Got it, got that much. And as you follow your inner sense of meaning, you are sailing in the same direction that your mothership wants you to sail. So, when we think about that, the sages say that the soul or the spirit is the divine energy found in everyone. And it resides in all people. Uh, Judaism says that every life is like a universe. And the Hasidim say spiritual and material worlds are parallels. What is experienced in our mind and body is modeled in our spiritual realm, our noose, as Frankel calls it. What is the noose? It's the spirit, our healthy core and our unique footprint in this world. So each person's mothership will be different. But hopefully many of our values will be tried and tested values that we will be following as we find our own meaning in our life. But modern medicine treats illness in the body only, but our spirit requires healing. How? Through self-transcendence, moving beyond the pain, the illness, the disappointment, the betrayal, the the loss, uh, sadness, and creating a pathway to our spirit, our healthy core. There is a special prayer for an ill person called Misebarach, and it asks for healing for the soul, mind, and body. The past can't be changed, but we are not victims nor slaves to our past. We have the chance to change the present and therefore influence our future. In darkness and despair, we search, certainly search for answers. And, uh, and we, we look for a meaning and a purpose in our lives. And, and we question, and we question, what is life about? And we ask, how can we motivate ourselves to change ourselves, to choose how we actually move forward? Um, there's, there's a saying that, uh, uh, to, uh, that, just hang on a say that saying yes to life is very important. And the two most important days of our lives are the day you are born and the day you find out why. I hope I don't have to find out why quite just yet.
And then today I was out having coffee and I saw it was outside a spa shop and I saw a, a message which I loved. It said, life is like an ice cream. Enjoy it because it melts. How true is that? I loved it. Stay relevant and up to date. This is 101.9 High FM. Hello, it's Sue Jackson on Finding Human. My timing is a bit out because um, I don't actually have a watch with me. It's gone flat. We've had a lot of uh, electricity cutoffs down here, which has been very, very irritating. But I think that's probably part of what that melting of the ice cream is about, to tell you the truth. Because um, another thing Frankel said is that if every single day was simply the same as the day before, there would be an, an existential vacuum in us, um, a, um, a void. What do, what do we have to live for? I mean, really, what do we have to strive for? Nothing. And therefore, man needs a certain amount of tension, of challenge, to actually find meaning, to move ourselves forward. Um, there's a Talmudic saying, who is rich? He who rejoices with their own lot. And... Um, I think that's very true. There is a technique called the future pool, and it's a true process um, movement. And I actually rather like this. The first step is to visualize yourself into something, a possibility, something that you would like to have, I'd like to do, like to see for the future. You need a vision of the future where the problem you're facing has already worked itself out. And that, and that this will actually, this vision allows you a space to create um, uh, ideas for your challenge and to, to move forward. This is actually a type of lateral thinking. And when Viktor Frankl was in the camps, he actually said that this is something that he did. He imagined himself standing on a well-lit stage in a warm, warm auditorium, giving a lecture on his experiences in the camp. But um, and, and this is a part of that lateral thinking of moving ourselves forward into, into that future pool that we all need to actually go into. This visualization tool is actually quite amazing, especially to get you out of where you're feeling stuck or overwhelmed. Um, and you know that Frankel actually said that when it was after a moment after liberation, when he walked through an open field and he fell to his knees and he said, at that moment, there was very little I knew of myself or of the world. I had but one sentence in mind, always the same. I called to the Lord from my narrow prison and he answered me in the freedom of space. How long I knelt there and repeated the sentence, memory can no longer recall, but I know that on that day, in that hour, my new life started. Um, this phrase, the calling to the Lord, is based on the psalm, on a psalm, and it's particularly um, meaningful in that it is pulling you towards the future and what the future can hold, which is different for each of us. It really is. And is, is it easy to move forward, to actually find a meaning in life? No, it's not. But we do have to do so. 
I am going to be ending this program shortly. If you've heard a lot of of um, noises coming through from, it's because I have the fan on. It's incredibly hot and humid, and it's blowing my papers all over the place. But um, I'm going to be ending with a song. And thank you so much for listening. And also, thank you all for being part of my life this year. I have really learned so much from your comments, from um, the guests on my show. Every single person has brought something into my life. And I am truly grateful for that. I'm going to be ending with a song, I hope. I'm going to be sending it through to the station. So please, Craig, if you could put it on. And it's by Alan Jackson, and it's called The Older I Get. Thank you. God bless. Bye.